WUOG 90.5 FM presents Out There, a weekly journey into the world of the occult, conspiracy theory, the paranormal, and other bizarre undercurrents of the human psyche. The views expressed on this program do not reflect those of WUOG 90.5 FM, the University of Georgia, or the Board of Regents. It's Out There with your hosts, Raymond and Joe. Welcome to another episode of Out There. My name is Joe McFall. And I'm uh, Raymond Wiley. Man, we, man, we have the most stock stuff that we say at the beginning of these episodes. Well, so we go on a script. I mean, this isn't really the meat of the show, you know? Yeah, I know. Like, we, I know. At this, I you just, know, Raymond, I want to, for me, whenever we're op- like opening a show, I want to get right through this stuff because this, the material itself is so exciting and this episode is no different so i should just ignore my feelings of utter redundancy yeah ignore the fact that this is all very scripted and 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 contrived because the the interview that you're about to hear is not this interview is very very right. much fun right absolutely it's the second part of our adam go rightly interview you've probably already checked out the first part of this podcast or uh, you may be listening to us on the Omnisound Radio One Network. Either way, um, yeah, it's a uh, it's second part of a good interview. We cover so many topics yeah, with this la- guy. Yeah, the previous one we talked mostly about Carrie Thornley. Carrie Thornley, a lot about Carrie Thornley and Kennedy stuff. Mm-hmm. And this episode, uh, we're going to talk more about Downer, James Shelby Downer. Uh, I think the Process Church and yeah, Charles this, Manson show up in this show. And I as think well. some MK Ultra even. Yeah, yeah. This, it, this it, is like a conspiracy cornucopia. It hits a lot, a lot of high points, and we really appreciate our guest Adam Go Rightly coming on and being good enough to do a two-hour interview with yeah, us. Yeah. So that was really cool. So, um, but before we get to the second half of that interview, we do have our normal announcements to get to. And you've probably noticed, (laughs) if you've been listening to our podcast lately, that some of the material that we've released has sort of been uh, recorded at a later date (laughs) than the main body. Well, same same thing is true tonight. Um, This intro is actually very contemporary to right now and not to when this archived episode was recorded. So we can actually make some pretty up-to-date announcements, which you, you may have already heard, but... In case you didn't know, we are on live on the Omnisound Radio 1 network. That's omnisoundradio1.net. And uh, though we are between seasons right now and they are running reruns, it is a place where you can go and hear a live version of the show without um, downloading a podcast. And our time has changed. We used to be on Monday nights, I believe, at 10. Now we're on Monday nights at 9 and Sunday nights at 11. So we've got an extra time on Friday? Now. Friday? Are they going to do... Wait, are they doing... Oh, uh, that, well, yeah, that in the That's future. Later. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, stick around because when we start our second season, those times are going to change again. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. And, yeah, probably a number of times. We're shooting for Mondays and Fridays. That's what Joe was alluding to in the second season, but we're not sure. And that second season, which I know many of you have been waiting for, is probably going to be coming sometime towards the end of November, sort of the end of the year area. And we're going to be going on two nights a week, two hours a night. So get excited and, uh, you know, prod us as much as you've been prodding us already with your emails about getting new shows on the air because we've, we've been hearing it. Yeah. And we are, we are psyched about going back on the air, too. And a month is a long time to wait for me. It's, it's currently October when yeah. we're recording this yeah. intro. So anyway, do we have any other announcements? Oh, well, you know, the usual stuff, our, our website, um, wuog.org slash out there um, that it's ma- it maintains our web space up until this point at least mm-hmm. and probably until the end of the year and even when we're not on WOG at all any longer even when we're not hosting our archives there anymore there should be a redirect link uh, on the website so don't worry about like losing us at some point when we're no longer on WOG's web space yeah. we've got forums on that website that I was just talking about as well where you can talk to plenty of people who have a similar interest to you, um, share show suggestions with us, and generally chat it up. And you can also chat with us on the OmnisoundRadio1.net chat rooms during those live times, which are, again, now Monday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, and Sunday nights, 11 p.m. Eastern. So We're also um, Instant message, Messenger. 
Yeah, Ray yeah. Raymond he, sits online a lot, and the the AOL instant messengers out there. The screen name is Out There Radio. Sorry. <laughs> right, right, right. And you None can that came out right. That's feel right. free to drop me an instant <laughs> message whenever you see me out online, even if it's late at night or early in the morning or whatever. If I'm around and not passed out, I will get back to you. And you can always send us an email, outthereradio at gmail.com. At gmail.com. Or check us out on MySpace. Our MySpace URL is myspace.com slash out there radio let's get to this interview man yeah man it's, it's time to get to the second half it. of our adam go rightly interview charles manson the process church and our everybody's favorite james shelby downard so uh thanks for tuning in and uh we'll we'll be back at the end of the episode enjoy to chat a little more later Okay, we are back with Adam Go Rightly. You may have been, you may have heard our, heard our show last week with our interview, and this is the second segment. Adam, how are you doing today? Very good. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back on the show. We want to talk to you today about a whole grab bag of stuff. Your latest book is called The, the Beast of Adam Go Rightly, Collected Rants, 1992 through 2004. And in, in which there's basically a bunch of essays about a whole range of different topics some conspiracy-related stuff, some more occult or consciousness-related, and some just kind of random writings. Like, I, there was a great review, uh, Eyes Wide Shut, the Kubrick movie. Mm-hmm. Interpretation. Interpretation, yeah. Real interesting stuff. So uh, the whole the book is a sort of rantings about all kinds of different things. I don't know. What, what can we start with today, Raymond? What do you think? Well, let's see. We, we wrapped up last week's episode talking about Carrie Thornley, uh, Oswald's friend and the Discordian founder who sort of thought that he had been a victim of CIA MK Ultra style mind control. Let's uh let's let's jump back into the uh, MK Ultra stuff because we've done a show about it in the past and we know Adam that you've written about it in the past. What about MK Ultra doesn't usually come out in a cursory uh, study of it? Hmm. What are some of the deeper stuff? I mean, because I know you've done some pretty extensive research on. It. One thing that uh, comes to mind. I find pretty uh, fascinating <clears throat> was a Samizdat uh, document, and you can still probably find it on the internet, written by a guy named Martin Cannon called The Controllers. Mm-hmm. You familiar with that? I've never come across that. Yeah, it uh, was in the uh, late 80s it came out, and basically the uh, thesis of this hypothesis was that the uh, UFO uh, alien abduction phenomena was a uh, cover for MKUltra experiments. And uh, the author really made a uh, compelling uh, case for that in, in his uh, piece. Still get, uh, I get a lot of out there emails. <laughs> <laughs> Recent one I got seems to uh, verify this. This is a mind control alleged mind control victim by the t- name of Mari, and uh, she's a lady in her uh, well, late 50s now, and she said she was a, a victim of MKUltra and more specifically the uh, Monarch mind control experiments, and mm-hmm. she actually claims that she was part of one of these uh, mock alien abductions and actually dressed up uh, as a, a child in one of the uh, little gray alien suits that they used. So that, perhaps that's another uh, piece of uh, MK Ultra lore you don't uh, hear much about. I, I find uh, fascinating. I plan to uh, do more on this uh, twist to the whole uh, MK Ultra lore. That's very interesting. Yeah. Now, was it was it in your work that I was reading something about allegations that perhaps Orson Welles' War of the Worlds broadcast was an early MK Ultra style psyop? <laughs> sort of meant to test the public, was that? I could imagine myself. <laughs> I, d- I don't think I uh, did write about that, but I suspect that you know that was uh, some type of experiment. That's interesting. That's in the days when they were you know just figuring out how to use mass media propaganda. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I'd never heard of that, Raymond. Yeah, yeah, and well, and think about the. the you know, the time period of the 30s, you know, people were really willing to go to those extents with propaganda. You know, you look at something like Triumph of the Will, and it's like, this is all the way. You sure. Know? Mm-hmm. There's no reason to think that something like that couldn't happen over here, just in a different context. Back, just a quick a quick note, back to the alien connection between Mind Control, MKUltra, Monarch, Montauk, all those, that whole range of, I guess, that whole field. 
I, I find I've always found it interesting, and maybe you can comment on this, Adam. The parallels between the claims of all these people who, uh, you know, who claim to have been subjects of various mind control projects, and the, I guess, for lack of a better term, the kinds of hallucinations that many many people find under psychedelic influence. Like I think Terence McKenna often writes about, you know, contact with aliens and this sort of thing. I don't know. What's your what's your what's your take on that sort of thing? Oh man, I've given that a lot of thoughts over the years. I've had some uh, bizarre experiences. I don't know if I'm answering your question correctly, <laughs> but uh, in the uh, late 70s, I had an experience where uh, a colleague and I, <laughs> under the influence of LSD, uh, witnessed uh, several uh, strange uh, flying uh, craft, UFOs, have you. And uh, what we both witnessed, you know, we were describing to each other as we were seeing, and they, they were quite impressive, and each one looked uh, different from the other. Some were more of your classical uh, UFO uh, saucer craft, some cigar-shaped, some even looked cartoonish. Uh, yeah. And uh, So were you and your friend having a shared experience? Do you yes. Okay. If it was a hallucination, it was a dual hallucination, so... As time uh, passed, you know, I tried to make uh, sense of what was going on, and I haven't, there isn't any one particular theory that I buy into, but there's a couple that I've entertained, and one that uh, we were the, uh, you know, victims of some psychotronic manipulation that, uh, you know, obviously was easily enhanced. Right. by the uh, state we were in. Also, currently, I've been presenting some uh, lectures, and uh, a little plug here, I'll be appearing in uh, Roswell, New Mexico, at the Roswell UFO Conference, and they're having a uh, special Halloween edition, which is the, uh, I believe it's called, like, the Dark Side of Ufology, where I look into uh, a lot of this stuff, and... Uh, my other theory uh, is basically uh, before my friend and I saw these UFOs, we remarked to ourselves, you know, man, what if we uh, saw some UFOs? Nobody would believe us. And we started laughing uh, somewhat uncontrollably. Yeah. And shortly after there, saw this stuff. So wow. uh, one, one of the theories I have, and basically the gist of this presentation I'm giving uh Entitled were the early UFO contactees, ritual magicians who conjured UFOs, and I believe when we said that to each other, we were basically performing ritual uh, magic, planting the seed and the intent there, and basically uh, it was kind of an interactive experience. These entities, or whatever they are, they're out there and all around us, but you need to uh, reach a certain state, whether it's through drugs or trance channeling and these type of things, and uh, we're getting way off on a tangent here. But uh, <laughs> oh, that's fine. That's what this episode is all about. So and please. so I started looking at the uh, history of ufology and ritual magic and where they intersect, and you know, use of uh, drugs and whatnot. And it was in the uh, around 40, 1946. 47 uh, period where uh, Jack Parsons, are you familiar with that name? Yeah. Prodigy of uh, Aleister Crowley, one of the founders of Jet Propulsion Laboratories. He has a he, crater on the moon named after him, I believe. Uh huh. On yeah. the dark side of the moon. Uh, he and L. Ron Hubbard, of all people, started performing some uh, ritual magic based on. Uh, some workings that Aleister Crowley had done around the uh, turn of the century, and he was and he was just at that time just coming back to the work of John Dee and Edward Kelly in the 16th century, right? Exactly. Scrying the Enochian keys and that it, sort of thing. Exactly what uh, Crowley got into with the uh, help of one of his scarlet women, who basically worked as a scryer or a channel. That's how what uh, the role that. Uh, Edward Kelly performed for John D. Crowley and his Scarlet Woman, who in this ceremony was uh, named Roddy Minor, they basically used uh, Enochian calls 
to summon forth this otherworldly entity by the name of Lame. When you look at uh, pictures of Lame and uh, compare them to the uh, alien greys of you know modern ufology, the, they look strikingly similar to each other. Lame himself has he has that egg-shaped head and uh, his eyes look more slanted and uh, smaller than the alien greys, but other than that, they look uh, quite similar. Now, fast forwarding to uh, Parsons and Hubbard and uh, Marjorie Cameron, who later became Parsons' wife, they basically uh, summoned uh, interdimensional beings that were not unlike Crowley's lame. In recent years, you've had these uh, various cults of lame people using the same uh, ritual. They'll uh, stare at a uh, picture of lame and uh, they follow a certain process and they go into the eyes of lame. Apparently, uh, saying the eyes of lame look splitted, but as you stare into it, they become larger, more like uh, the alien graves. So you, ha you have this weird kind of uh, magical subculture going on. So I looked at the uh, history of ufology. It was shortly after uh, Parsons and uh, Hubbard's uh, magical working that the modern age of ufology uh, started. Crowley, back in his day, uh, supposedly ordered uh, opened this magical portal for Lane to go through. And what uh, Parsons and Hubbard did was enlarge this portal and in fact, some suggest that they weren't as adept at Crowley at working these magical portals, and they weren't able to close the darn thing, and uh, thus us ushered in the uh, modern age of ufology. That, that was 46 and 47 is when Kenneth Arnold had his uh, noted uh, sightings. And so as I look through the history of the uh, early UFO contactees, I began to see a pattern where all of these folks were basically performing uh, trans-channeling in what appeared to be magic rituals before they actually uh, saw UFOs. So that's kind of the uh, gist of my theory, and it gets a lot deeper and stranger from there. Is there anything about that in the beast? Well, I, I covered it a bit. That there is, a, I'm pulling out the uh, book here so I can remember the actual title. The piece is called uh, Ritual Magic mind control and the UFO phenomena, uh, okay. where I get into a lot of this stuff and it kind of overlaps with mind control as well. In the uh, lecture series now, I'm kind of pulled out the mind control stuff for now and just looking at the ritual magic and how it relates to the UFO uh, phenomenon. But yeah, there is some of that in the beast. That's, that's fascinating because I guess prior to the 40s then, there wasn't much relationship between sort of belief in extraterrestrials and, what, I guess, the Western occult tradition? Well, there is a whole history, you know, going, dating back uh, to the uh, Bible and Enoch. <laughs> His name comes up right. again and again. Uh, you know, a lot of the early UFO contactees, aside from Parsons uh, and Hubbard, you know, they a lot were practicing Enochian uh, calls. The tradition continued uh, on and on, and you know, dates back to the uh, book of Enoch and the uh, wondrous visions uh, Enoch had of these uh, visitors. Um, we put them in the uh, context of the you know the age we're living in, uh, prior to uh, the atomic age and the technological age. You know, you look back in time, you had uh, visitation with fairies and elves, or you had like. Uh, the sightings of the Blessed Virgin Mary, but I think these visions or whatever uh, folks are tapping into, uh, they're processed through our filters and, uh, you know, our belief systems and pop out on the other end is, you know, uh, in this modern age as uh, visitors from another planet. Uh, mm -hmm. what, I, what I suspect they are is an energy that's out there and that tuned to certain frequencies in our brain we're part of this creation project uh, process that's where the ritual magic uh, comes in 
that make sense? Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting to see how it becomes innovated over the years, you know, because as we, as we know, you know, it's, it's not like John D. was doing some magical spell that Enoch had actually written down. He was just sort of taking Agrippa's sort of system and taking this Enochian influence of this story about calling down angels mm-hmm. of the Aether. And it sort of filters through him. And then, like you were talking about with Crowley, later at the end of the 19th century, you know, it's further filtered through a widespread Western belief in spiritualism that comes out of the mid-1800s. And and you may be right. I mean, it's sort of an interesting and out-there theory, but, you know, perhaps all of that sort of spiritual energy and belief in spirits from above that you can call... Maybe yeah. it did have this effect, and maybe it has sort of caused this sort of mass movement, which is especially happening in South and South America and Latin America, right? Yeah. Well, there, there was a common theme in my uh, research. Uh, you had Adamski around uh, 52. He had his uh, famous sighting, which uh, really uh, gave, you know, further momentum to the whole contactee scene, and he had a a colleague there who, who uh, was part of that uh, sighting was a guy named uh, George Hunt Williamson. Williamson started playing around with the Nokian magic and claimed that he uh, came in contact with certain beings from Sirius. And that's a common uh, theme. I started seeing that as time progressed, a whole lot of uh, other folks were having these contacts with Right. Serious, and I could just name a few of them off right. the... the... The Dogon, <laughs> Philip K. Dick, mm-hmm. you know, it goes... Me and Joe have had extensive conversations yeah. about Wilson, this Wilson talks thing. about this. Robert Anton Wilson... Certainly. ...after basically uh, performing a uh, Crowleyan Golden Dawn ritual called Conversation with the Holy Guardian Angel, came in contact with... Uh, Syrians. This is at the same time and independent from Philip K. Dick. Doris Lessing, another author, had similar experience. And, uh, you know, as I looked into it deeper and deeper, Sirius started popping up again and what was up with Andrea Puharic and uh, Yuri Geller yeah. and uh, on and on and on. Didn't so Temple write a book about... Right. Yeah, Sirius Robert, Robert Temple. Right. Uh, Robert Temple's book, I... Uh, get into as well, yeah. That's very fascinating. So, yeah, yeah, you have these uh, common themes, and, uh, you know, uh, Hume wrote a book about uh, UFOs where he, uh, and this was very early in the, uh, you know, when UFOs uh, first became, you know, part of the uh, popular uh, lexicon, he wrote a book stating that it was basically the collective uh, unconscious of mankind <laughs> bringing, bringing this all about. It's very interesting. It's sort of interesting what the ramifications are for sort of how the, ra- the human race evolves, you know, if we're sort of creating mm-hmm. re- consensual reality like that. I, I think, <laughs> once again, I don't subscribe to any one theory 100%, but that makes a whole heck of a lot of uh, sense to me. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of a uh, student of Robert Anton Wilson, and I like his approach. Uh, if you subscribe to uh, any one theory 100%, then you're basically closing off all the other uh, theories out there. And you, uh... Yeah, in fact, what, what you had just said, Adam, about um, you know, when, you, when you subscribe 100% to a particular theory, you close your mind off from all of the others. I, I know we've actually pulled that quote out before on this very mm-hmm. show, because a lot of the stuff we deal with, you can't really believe 100% unless you want to go crazy. <laughs> yeah. go crazy. Now, you know, I might buy into something 80%. Or yeah, <laughs> right, right. I mean, especially, it seems, when you're dealing with, I guess when, when you're messing with your mind in, ver- in ways, you know, you might, it might be through occult ritual magic, it might mm-hmm. be through substances, it might be you know, any other any number of other ways, but I think that, that you have to retain some sort of disbelief, even mm-hmm. a small, tiny bit of it, in order to remain sane. Sure, to be able to uh, continue involve people who are absolute about certain things become very dogmatic eventually. And mm-hmm. 
I, th- I think this is a really big problem with our culture in particular, but our species mm-hmm. in general as well. That I think you know many of us subscribe too, too wholeheartedly to one particular belief system and don't yeah. really acknowledge that others or have any validity at all. Or what Wilson calls BS. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, speaking, we were talking a moment ago about sort of creating reality, consensual creation of reality. Let's talk about a, a much more sinister way that you can create reality, and that's uh, that's sort of uh, manipulation and mind control. Mm-hmm. Earlier we talked about Thornley's sort of interaction with this MKUltra program. You've written also in your works about uh, Charles Manson and the Manson family, and I believe Jim Jones as well, and how they have they are perhaps tied to um, government mind control experiments. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yes, uh, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> I definitely uh, suspect that uh, what was going on in Jonestown with some type of mass mind control experiment to see how far you can push people. The whole thing that got me going on the uh, Manson family were different theories I'd uh, heard over the years that uh, the family was a military mind control experiment. Uh, this, uh, this is stuff Mae Brussels was talking about uh, years and years ago. So uh, that initially what what really got me going on the uh, Manson book was to uh, explore all these uh, theories and the, the book eventually I realized I needed to put it into some kind of context, so I wrote about Manson's childhood and the whole history of the Manson family and 600 pages later I was done. But, you know, looking into this mind control stuff, you can look back to Manson's youth. What I did a lot of times was connect dots. Growing up, Manson uh, lived in uh, uh, West Virginia, which has a uh, pretty... Uh, Strange history with MK Ultra paranormal uh, stuff with Mothman and on and on. And curiously enough, I discovered that growing up, Manson had known a uh, girl his age named Sarah Jane Moore. I think both of their uh, mothers were prostitutes, so they ended up spending uh, time together. Later, Sarah Jane Moore attempted to assassinate Gerald Ford. Oh, right. And the other, the other attempted uh, assassination attempt was by uh, Lynette Squeaky Fromm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who was a, a member of the Manson family. So the, these are the uh, type of things I started, you know, the pieces you put together in a puzzle and let the uh, reader decide if there's something more to all these coincidences. Uh, May Russell what she believed was that the Manson family were basically designed to bring about what she called a uh, strategy of tension in the uh, country and basically uh, portray the hippies at that time in a uh, bad light. And uh, when I talk about a strategy of uh, tension, you could see uh, possibly a similar uh, mechanism that was used with 9-11 9-11 basically to bring about a uh, police state to, uh, a uh, reason to strip us of civil liberties, bring uh, something forth, uh, you know, like the uh, Patriot Act. Right. So that that was her overall uh, general uh, theory. There's a lot of evidence suggests that uh, Manson was an agent provocateur mm-hmm. and that prior to the uh, murders, you know, uh, one guy came forward uh, named Preston Guillory, who worked for the LAPD, and basically the message was hands off Manson, even though they had him on charges of a statutory rape, that they that uh, Manson was being basically used as a provocateur to bring about. Uh, there, there was a lot of racist elements in what Manson was doing, and this bring about uh, a race war of uh, some uh, type, because... This was during the whole period of the COINTELPRO. Are you guys familiar with that? Yeah, we, we, we've done a show on that. Where okay. they were, uh, FBI was involved in uh, basically uh, ending the uh, black movement in America. And so uh, that was a theory of some folks that uh, Manson was uh, tied up in this type of stuff. 
infiltrating the uh, counterculture and these type of uh, things. Well, that would have, that would definitely have been at the height of the COINTEL investigations into the new left. Right, and it was right at the exact same time that all sorts of other things were happening to sort of demean the counterculture. You know, mm-hmm. major rock stars dying, uh, the disaster at Altamont Speedway. You know, that was supposed to be Certainly, like the second yeah. Woodstock. You know, well, the the, the uh, Tate La Bianca murders came right after Woodstock and basically <laughs> helped bring the uh, peace and love sixty generation kind of to a cataclysmic uh, close there, coupled with Ab- Applemont, which, uh, you know, some suspect was some sort of dark black magic ritual with, uh, you know, the Rolling Stones uh, singing Sympathy for the Devil. Right. Uh, and and uh, Mick Jagger's even dressed as Satan on stage mm-hmm. then. You, you watch the video and you think, man, this, this man does not have satanic control of the crowd, but mm-hmm. it is shocking that he is dressed like the devil. Yeah. And, as this whole horrible scene sort of evolves. And they brought in uh, the security guards, the Hells Angels, yep. yeah. who ended up killing the uh, black kid there. Right, yeah, a kid pulled a gun on one of the Hells Angels and they stabbed, got stabbed him right there. Yeah. And it's right, it's on, uh, if you if you guys if listening are familiar with the Rolling Stones film, Gimme Shelter, there's actually footage of all of this on there, and I think that's probably the event that inspired the song, Gimme Shelter, as well, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Sad scene. So yeah, I guess I guess that sort of brings us into some uh, occult rock stuff, and I know you've written a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about. Um, well, we were talking about Manson, so I guess we should start off with the Manson link to the Beatles and the White Album and stuff like that. But also talk about going, you know, into the '80s, sort of some of the um, occult slash mind control. Uh, material that sort of gets mixed up with the rock and roll culture. Do you have something particularly in mind? Uh, well, I mean, <laughs> I guess we could start off with the White Album and Manson. Does that sound good, Joe? Sure, sure. Once again, I'll go off on a little tangent here, but... Uh, Feel free. <laughs> I compared the... Uh, 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 there's one article in the book uh, entitled, Was the Catcher in the uh, Rye a Mechanism of Control? Uh, I believe I was the uh, first person, this could be wrong, but as as I remember it, the first person to point out that both uh, John Hinckley and Mark David Chapman had in their uh, possessions after the Hinckley's attempted assassination of Reagan and Chapman's murder of John Lennon both had in their possession the uh, Catcher in the Rye, and which I equated to movie The Manchurian uh, Candidate, and then basically the Catcher in the Rye had been used as a uh, trigger much the same way as the Queen of Hearts was used in the Manchurian Candidate. So I kind of drew a parallel there with uh, what was going on with the uh, Manson family and perhaps perhaps the uh, White Album might have been used in a similar manner. Of course, Manson and family got heavily into White Album during that period and Many of the songs they felt were, uh, at least Charles Manson felt, were directly pointing him in the direction of Helter Skelter, of bringing uh, about this race war, which, uh, and this was uh, Bugliosi's theory, that uh, that was the design, part of the design of uh, Helter Skelter was to uh, bring about this race war and how uh, they were leaving signs there at the murder scene to uh, set up the uh, Black Panthers for the uh, murders. Yeah, the use of the term pig, especially, written in blood on the wall. So, uh, you you look at the history of the Manson family, and they were heavily involved in the rock scene, Uh, had a lot of connections there. In fact, family lived at Beach Boy Dennis Wilson's house for a period of time, and Wilson was quite infatuated with Manson and his girls for a uh, period of time. Manson knew such uh, rock rock stars as Neil Young, and in fact, was been recorded and was trying to sell you know uh, sell an album, particularly trying to get Dennis Melcher, the uh, son of Doris Day, who was a big time producer, produced the uh, Birds and knew Dennis Wilson. He was trying to uh, get. Milcher to produce an album, and the Tate LaBianca murders occurred at uh, the house that was actually owned by Dennis Milcher, that was 
being uh, rented out by uh, Polanski and Tate, and you know, a lot of people uh, suspect that basically Manson was leaving a message there for Melcher. <laughs> you screwed me over on this album, you know. I'm getting back at you this way. You might be next. Yeah, I've I've heard Dennis Wilson strange the way he talks about this recording that Charles Manson made in his studio, because you would think that you think that you see Dennis Wilson as this you know very um, slick, tasteful musician, and the way he talks about this, like he talks with fear about Charles Manson's recording, mm-hmm. and it and it just seems like something that a, a Beach Boy would be above being afraid of. It, it kind of makes you wonder what was on that recording. I don't know if he was talking about any uh, specific recording, but yeah, for a while uh, he actually called uh, Manson the Wizard. There was an interview he did for uh, some British uh, publication where he talked in great fear and <laughs> awe about Manson. And, you know, Man- Manson did have some measure of talent, you know, enough to impress a few people. He was had a uh, kind of magical way of throwing words together and spontaneously, spontaneously uh, writing songs. Really had a uh, spell over a, a lot of people. Manson's take, and I don't know if you've mentioned this already, but um, his take on he he basically interprets the Book of Revelations through the White Album. Which I, I always found kind of an interesting take on both both of those pieces. You know, I, I believe didn't he believe that um, the Beatles were the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse? <laughs> yeah, as I recall, and he was right in there where he was like going to be the fifth Beatle to uh, <laughs> bring their message to the public about you know the coming revolution and revelation called Helter Skelter, and you know, uh, and he he also used the uh, Book of Revelations as a uh, source for his this kind of end time scenario he saw called Helter Skelter, and that the family were out in the uh, desert were uh, claimed that they had found some underground passageways, and right out of Revelation, this is where he and the uh, chosen ones were going to hide. Uh, under the earth while this uh, above ground this uh, race war Hilter Skelter came about and after the uh, smoke cleared he would emerge triumphant and as he said go uh, pat uh, the blackie on the head and uh, take the reins of control and be the uh, master of the world do you, th- what's, do you think he really I mean do you think he really believed that <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it, it's really hard to say. If you asked him, he'd say that was a bunch of BS that Bugalosi and other right. people uh, came up with. But I think I think he uh, played around with a lot of different things, you know, and uh, with his followers, and uh, you know, they took a lot of acid and did a lot of role playing, and you know, that that might have been one of the uh, games that they were uh, playing and you know when you get you start doing uh, that uh, sometimes you start believing in your uh, fantasies yeah, I've heard interesting things that you know and uh, once again all of that might have been a uh, tool that Manson was using as part of a uh, you know uh, some type of MK Ultra shenanigans going on that maybe he was used as a handler for this group, or he was a dupe, or who knows exactly. Has anyone ever suggested a connection? Like where the where the principal connection between the Manson family and an MK Ultra type program would be? Is there any figure that comes up, for example? Uh, there are, but it's pretty sketchy. Uh, Mae Russell claimed that there was an intermediary who was involved uh, with military intelligence who gave uh, Manson, the Manson family their drugs, which they called acid, but uh, other researchers like John Judge, who also looked into that, said the acid this person gave him was actually the MK Ultra acid. Hmm. Now, <laughs> nobody specifically is named. Now, once again, there's anecdotal evidence that Manson knew a uh, figure... Uh, 
by the name of Ronald Stark, who was a CIA operative and who got heavily involved in the LSD uh, black market during that period in late 60s, and that uh, he and Manson were apparently uh, cited together on different occasions. So you have a lot of these secondhand uh, anecdotal uh, stories, but you know there's there's no specific uh, smoking gun. But the more you look into it, the more little pieces of the uh, puzzle seem to fit together. And once again, that's what I do a lot of time, just uh, connect the uh, dots and let readers uh, come to their own conclusions. Can you maybe connect the dots then between, um, I know that in your book Death Cults you wrote about Manson and the Process Church, as you've mentioned to us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the process, what it is for listeners who have never heard of it, and then also maybe what it's, you know, how it fits in this whole milieu from the late 60s, early 70s, and Manson and all of this mind control and that sort of thing? Yeah, the uh, process was an outgrowth of Scientology. Oh, see, I've, I did not know that. I've heard of the process before, and I always wondered sort of where it came from. Yeah, Hubbard, he got run out of the states, and uh, he had a, a number of different government organizations. I guess CIA was after him as well for whatever reason, and part of it might have stemmed from tax evasions, but he ended up in... Uh, Great Britain in the uh, early 60s and was quite popular over there. He was uh, based out of London, as I recall, and a couple of his students, the Grimstons, Marianne and, oh, I can't remember the guy's first name now, uh, escapes me, but the, uh, the Grimstons were auditors of, uh, and, you know, the, the auditors, their role in uh, Scientology were bringing in new recruits and, uh, basically taking them through the Scientology process. And so the, the Grimstons broke from Scientology at one point and uh, uh, started a uh, group called Compulsions Analysis. And at that time it was more of a uh, group based on psychiatry and the name process, you know, actually taken from the Scientology uh, process. And so... Uh, over a period of time, the process uh, evolved into uh, a, a more than a uh, cult venture and uh, began to uh, worship a number of uh, different uh, deities, Lucifer and Satan and uh, Jehovah. And so this uh, group became somewhat popular with the uh, counterculture there in uh, London in the uh, mid to late uh, 60s, and he had people like Marianne Faithful and Mick Jagger on the uh, fringes of, you know, they're trying to recruit these type of people into uh, the process. Now, the process eventually uh, moved, started branching out and sending chapters to the uh, U.S., and they were in uh, New Orleans and Chicago, and they also uh, ended up in uh, San Francisco during the uh, Summer of Love, uh, 67, when Manson was there and actually ended living a couple of blocks from each other. Now, uh, Ed Sanders in his book, The uh, Family, uh, claims that the... Uh, process and uh, Manson family hooked up uh, during this period and that the uh, process were somehow involved in the uh, uh, Kate LaBianca murders as well as the Zodiac uh, murders and even later on the son of uh, Sam murders that they're this vast occult satanic organization that had involved in all these nefarious underdoings over the years. I've, I've heard also that uh, Jim Jones' People Te- People's Temple was on the same block in San Francisco as the Process Church and where Manson was living at the time. Okay, I hadn't heard that one. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'm just basically sharing with you the uh, tip of the iceberg. Once once more, as you uh, look deeper into the uh, history of the uh, process and possible connections with the uh, Manson family, uh, you know there there's a number of 
once again, circumstantial evidence that uh, points to uh, really something going on there uh, behind the scenes, but uh, finding one particular smoking gun, <laughs> I haven't been able to find. So the process, were they a lot like the Church LeBay ends up creating, or did they look more like something like... A you were talking about Satan and Lucifer mm -hmm. and Jehovah, it, it, it reminds me of something like Rudolf Steiner would talk about mm -hmm. or something like that. What was uh, their big influence? Well, they were trying to merge all these uh, different deities, if I have their uh, cosmology correct in my mind, to, to bring about a unification of heaven and hell. And that's a lot of the uh, same stuff that uh, Manson was talking about. They had a lot of the same uh, cosmology. A lot of Manson was known as the, his followers, sort of as a merging of Christ and uh, Satan. And so, anyway, the merging of these different deities was uh, once once this was uh, completed, then it would bring about this end time scenario. And so, a lot of people suspect that what uh, the Manson family uh, was involved in what the process was uh, basically to bring about this uh, escalation to bring about the end times helter skelter whatever you want to uh, call it and uh, interestingly enough the process claimed that uh, towards the end of uh, the 60s uh, uh, early 70s that uh, their operation organization church, whatever you want to call it, basically disbanded, and but then other people uh, believe that they basically went underground at that point, mm -hmm. and there's a fascinating book called The uh, Ultimate Evil, and uh, the author Maury Carey claims that the Process Church uh, basically continued all their uh, subversive, satanic activities, basically an occult uh, organization, uh, drug dealing, prostitution, murder for hire, and that uh, they were uh, behind the uh, son of Sam slaying. Well, Adam, we've got about five or ten minutes left in our interview today, and I, I wanted to talk to you about something that I actually only came across right as we started the interview today. And to our listeners, if you've listened to some of our back episodes, you may know that one of our first episodes was about James Shelby Downard, famous and crazy conspiracy theorist. From crazy? The well, <laughs> you, you know what I'm out there, at the very yeah. least. Um, and we talked a little bit with Adam Parfrey, who uh, has published some of his works. And uh, turns out that Adam has also, uh, Adam Go Rightly, that is, has also a connection to Downard's work. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the work on Downard that you're doing right now? Uh, something I've been piecing together for a uh, few years now, and I hoping I was going to meet uh, or beat uh, Adam Parfrey to the uh, punch. Uh, his book, uh, what's it called, The Carnivals of Life and Death? Right. It's coming out in, I believe, September. That's, that's going to be a uh, straight biography taken from uh, Downard's writings, I believe, and I'm, I'm really looking uh, forward to that. My book is partly biographicals and a lot of my takes on the revelation of the method and kind of comparing uh, the work Downer did to what's going on with the uh, current scene now and I just happened uh, would you like an exclusive here yeah. oh, especially about Downer absolutely I have a little piece from the book and it's not particularly about Downer but it talks about brief section called the Abu Ghraib Horror Show. Cool. Okay. And where I compare it to uh, Downard's Revelation of the Method. About one page I'll read for you here. I think you'll find it uh, interesting. And it starts off, Downard, no doubt, is turning cartwheels in his crypt over Abu Ghraib, the latest installment of the Revelation of the Method, brought to you by CNN, Fox News, and the other media shields sporting the official party line. Accompanying these revelations was a signal uh, to noise ratio of deafening proportions as commanding officers attempted to shuttle culpability off on subordinates. 
Of course, it all gets blamed on some low-brow trailer trollop. Accordingly, subordinates pointed their fingers at superior officers, claiming they'd only been following orders like good little goose-steppers. Enter Private Lindy England to take the die for unseen puppet masters. According to Private England, these unidentified superiors directed her actions from behind the Curtain of Oz. Meanwhile, amid the concurrent concophonous clamoring of TV talking heads, Abu Ghraib's real intent was obscured by the cloudy lens of television mind control. Let the finger wagging begin. Let sacrificial lambs be thrown to congressional committees investigating these atrocities on live TV, just in time for Sweets Week. Those played as taxis for Abu Ghraib were, to this observer, akin to mind-controlled dupes wearing vacuous W-like grins as they were paraded through the courtrooms and across television screens for the home-viewing audience to abhor, punctuated by stark images of Lindy Ingram, England posing before a pyramid of naked prisoners and contorted positions, TV land viewers were aghast that America's military forces could have sunk into such levels of depravity. The horror, the horror. When all was said and done, purported ringleader Charles Grainer, a specialist with military police, conveniently took the fall, smiling all the way to the brig, although rumors were, ri were rife that if he and his cohorts were low-level pawns in a full-blown in-your-face psyops, brought to you in living color by one or more of the Alphabet Soup intelligence agencies. Prior to Abu Ghraib revelations, strange stories surfaced surrounding Guantanamo Bay, a.k.a. Camp X-ray torture practices. According to reports, detainees were held in shipping containers and subjected to flashing lights and repetitive music for hours on end, and apparent MKUltra mind control. In some cases, the mind control music included the TV theme song of that lovable purple dinosaur, Barney. To add insults to injury, prostitutes were brought in to bring shame upon the Islamic prisoners, subjecting them to further humiliation. The tricks playing, uh, burying the prisoners' faces in their boobs and playing with their genitals. In addition, the prisoners were forced to masturbate and simulate oral sex with each other. These same practices escalated into full-blown occult sex rituals at Abu Ghraib, overseen by some of the same PSYOPs warlords uh, of Camp X-ray fame. As recounted in John Ronson's uh, The Men Who Stare at uh, Goats, just prior to things really getting weird at Abu Ghraib, quote, a whole platoon of Guantanamo people arrived. The word got around, oh God, the Gitmo guys are here. Bam, there they were. They took the place over, end quote. Uh, so, I'm finishing here, guys. It could be surmised sex magic rituals were used against Islamic prisoners, summoning forth a strange karmic unraveling, mirror the, mirroring the dirty deeds of Sodom, sunny boy Sodomites at the site of his former chamber of horrors. If so, uh, what better way to perpetuate a strategy of tension or a revelation or bring about the revelation of the method in the Abu Ghraib horror show, ostensibly engineered to escalate the carnage that continues on to this day, full tilt in Iraq and other uh, former Middle Eastern vacation spots. Just another instance of the alchemical processing of the mass consciousness group mind of humankind. I think Downer wonderful. would be very proud of that. Yeah, Adam. I think so Absolutely, too. dude. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. So that, that's where I'm kind of going in the book, talking about. I'll get into eyes wide shut in it uh, a little more and kind of just scrolling through the things I have here, and some uh, biographical uh, material on Downers as, w as well. I'll have to see what uh, comes out in uh, the uh, Feral House uh, book to see how deeply I want to get into the uh, biographical side, but uh, Downard uh, was a fascinating uh, individual. Any, any uh, idea when we might see this in print? Perhaps spring of next year. All right. I'm working with a uh, another fellow by the name of Jonathan, uh, a friend of mine, but he runs uh, Minutius uh, Press, and uh, Jonathan is a uh, expert in uh, Freemasonry and a graphic design artist. So uh, he'll have as well be uh, collaborating with my. Uh, on this uh, project, so uh, 
Cool. Well, we will keep our eyes open. Yeah. It looks like, Adam, that's about all the time we have. Let me go through uh, just the books. We'll keep an eye out for that book. Also, for the listeners, go check out The Beast of Adam Go Rightly, Collected Rantings, 1992-2004. Also, The Prankster and the Conspiracy, The Story of Carrie Thornley and How He Met Oswald Inspired the Counterculture, and some other books, The Shadow Over, Santa Susanna, and Death Cults, all by our guest today, Adam Go Rightly. Adam, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Hey, thanks for uh, having me, guys, and uh, I feel bad. I, uh, <laughs> the guy I was trying to remember his last name is Jonathan Sellers uh, with Minutius Press, and they have a website, and uh, yeah, we're look- he's looking at uh, publishing the uh, Downward book in uh, early spring, guys, Excellent. so uh, thanks uh, once again for having me on. Just Hi. for our listeners, um, you have a website as well, it's adamgorightly.com? Oh, yes, mansonmythos.com is... Uh, my first website I put up several years ago to uh, peddle the uh, Manson book. So that's uh, uh, com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Adam. I'm amazed at how many topics we were able to hit in the two hours we talked to you. And we'd love to have you back sometime, especially, you know, before the new book comes out or when it comes out or before then. Okay, I'll rattle your guys' case. Hopefully (laughs) uh, it'll be next Excellent. Well, if you get bored, you can come on sooner and talk about yeah, anything else. Yeah, you definitely need to follow <laughs> okay. if you want to. So. Sounds good. Uh, yeah, and keep up the uh, good work out oh, there. Thank you. Thank you. We're back here on Out There Radio. Man, that was a great interview with Adam Go Rightly. I, I really enjoyed talking to him. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. It was, <laughs> you know, I think that was one of the most interesting interviews of the whole season so far. I I would have to agree, especially since it's the last interview of the season. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, that was you know as you probably know this is episode thirty-two. It was the most broad of anything that we've done so far, I think, in terms of like what kind of material it covers, though. Right, and it, it sort of casts the net back over many topics that we have already covered in length, sort of adding new light to them, and it sort of foreshadows what we're going to talk about on the next. Dun, episode, dun, dun, episode which, 33. Yeah, that's right. Yes, the season finale, our 9-11 episode. Three times three is nine. Yes. 33 divided by three is 11. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I... You it's know, my I, numerology for the evening. Whoa. Enjoy. Like Enjoy. I, even, I didn't even expect that, dude. Like I, 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 Normally, I would have had something clever to say in response, but that... Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I, I was sort of aiming it towards us doing 33 episodes, and I was thinking, it's, yeah. it's numerologically significant. Yeah. So, yep. um, and if anyone, oh, okay, here, here's what you do. If you can uh, send me an email, okay, if you, listen, if you like the show, send me an email and work out the numerology <laughs> of all the episode numbers. <laughs> <laughs> what was 23? Just curious. Uh, 23 was... Uh, Come on, Raymond. You're supposed God, to know this stuff. You're, uh, like, you're the man who's like, this is all worked out. I've got a plan. It's all means 20, something. I think 23 was uh, the return of Quetzalcoatl. Okay. I, I said it. I said it. You said it. I, uh, <laughs> You've never said that correctly before. Uh, right. I, I, that's actually the first time I've ever pronounced that. Na- yeah, but I think, I think it was... Um, I think it was that interview. Yeah. So, but anyway, we got uh, the 9-11 show coming up. It'll be the next podcast that's released. That's a two-hour show. That's a two-hour, two 15-minute show. Not long enough, either. Really not long yeah. enough, because we weren't able to cover everything that we wanted to. And, and then we had to wrap it all up with, like, you know, like the end of a Sublime album or something with, like, ten minutes of thank yous. <laughs> so, but no. I don't, I don't understand your cultural references. Sorry. Uh, well, I'm sorry about that, too, Joe. <laughs> God. You're just shutting me down tonight. Like everything, I don't mean to. everything you say. Like I have nothing. I, I have nothing to shoot back at. I'm you just with. full of like non sequiturs tonight. I don't know what it is. God, you are a big non sequitur. I am a big non sequitur. Okay. So <laughs> I know. <laughs> see, see when and then when I try to respond, you have some pithy comeback that I can't. Well, I'm I full can't. of pith too. <laughs> Anyway, you've probably heard enough of us for this episode. Anyway, tune in uh, next podcast or next week or whatever for the 9-11 out there season one finale, which is going to be totally awesome. Yeah, absolutely. I I know that because we've actually already recorded it. Yeah, it's one of the the awesomest things you've ever heard. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Out There Radio. My name is Joe McFall. And I'm Raymond Wiley. Have a good one. 
You have been listening to Out There, a presentation of WUOG 90.5 FM in Athens, Georgia. For more information or to subscribe to our podcast, visit www.wuog.org slash podcasts or email us at outthereradio at gmail.com.